Thank you. Well, guys, uh, we are starting a little later than we normally do with the message. So I'm asking that you uh, bear with me. I'm trying to get something going here to help me. So put on your uh, seatbelts. Uh, you're not going anywhere for a little bit. Uh, I'm going to talk a little faster than I had anticipated doing. Uh, we never know when a divine appointment is going to arise. And by the way, I'm calling this the importance of carpe diem, seizing the day. Very important because we never know what opportunities come to us uh, when we're living a life as a believer. So often we get so busy in our day-to-day -day and miss opportunities that the Lord puts before us. And we might say to ourselves, hey, it, it's not the time or that the flesh is mustering up something or maybe they won't like me or what I have to say. Has anybody ever been like that? You know, just a little cautious. The call of believers is to proclaim our faith in whom the light of the, is the light of the world. How many here are actually believers? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, there are a few hands that did not go up, so nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to hold that against you. But by the end of this message, I hope you walk out of here knowing why you should be a believer. We are to be prepared in season and out of season. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, which is stated in 1 Peter 3.15 and 16. I want to tie a point together that I spoke in the last time I was here at the Bema. Um, let's first look at a portion of scripture, which you're going to need to put up now, uh, Juan Carlos, and it's going to be 1 Corinthians uh, where, I don't want to, 9, 19 through 23. Uh, and when we look at this, this is from the Messianic writings, and it, subs it substantiates uh, how we should be compelled to go, and we should go out into the world. So, ah, there it is, imaginary. So I will, uh, for although, I'm going to read it, for although I am free, a free man, not bound to do anyone's bidding, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win as many people as possible. That is, in verse 20, uh, with Jews, what I did was put myself in the position of a Jew in order to win Jews. With people in subjection to a legalistic perversion of the Torah, I put myself in the position of someone under such legalism in order to win those under this legalism. Even though I am myself, am not in subjection to a legalistic perversion of the Torah. Now, some of you might be wondering, where's all this semantic come from? It comes from the complete Jewish Bible, which many of us are encouraged in a Messianic Jewish congregation to read so that you understand the scriptures from a Jewish point of view. 
with those who live outside the framework of Torah, I put myself in the position of someone outside the Torah in order to win those outside the Torah. Although I myself am not outside the framework of God's Torah, but within the framework of Torah as upheld by the Messiah. With the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak, and with all kinds of people, I have become all kinds of things, so that in all kinds of thing, circumstances, I might save at least some of them. Do you think we as believers today should follow this example? Of course. After all, wasn't this written during the apostolic age? Uh, weren't the teachings of the apostles only for that period of time? Huh? No. Miracle healing, speaking in tongues, casting out demons, prophecy, words of knowledge, etc. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 12, just a portion of it says, Yeshua HaMashiach is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what was then is now, and what is now was then. So, Rav Shaul, Paul, wrote under the inspiration of the Ruach HaKodesh that we are to be imitators of Rav Shaul as he was of Messiah. Rav Shaul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 33 and 11, uh, to 11, 1, which I read, uh, with all kinds of people, I have become all kinds of things so that in all kinds of circumstances, I might save at least, do you remember how many? Some of them. We're not going to save them all, but some of them. How, uh, an obvious question should be resonating in each one of us right now. In our day-to-day -day lives, how can I use the freedom uh, the way that Rav Shaul and Yeshua did? How can we do it? By any means... I might save some. If we are to be imitators of Rav Shaul as he was of Messiah, then are we to make ourselves a slave to all or to become a Jew to the Jews or to become subject to a legalistic perversion of the Torah in order to win the legalists or become weak in order to win the weak? I want to say uh, an example uh, I was invited to be at the National Education Association uh, convention uh, two or three weeks ago. I was there for a week. And one of the things that was happening, the people that I went out to share with, we had tables from Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and also the uh, Ark Encounter. If you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, please ask me about it. Uh, I'm planning on taking people on a trip out there sometime in the fall. We were handing out literature, but the people that I was working with, uh, they're, they're very reserved. And they stood behind the tables and all the literature was there. And I saw that people were walking by and they weren't taking any of the literature. So, a uh, little zealous that I might be, I went out and I went up and I said, Oh, John, I see on your tag, you're from Maryland. How interesting. I bet you're a reader, aren't you? 
And John would say, of course I am. I'm a teacher. I said, John, come here. I want to show you something here. And then I went to Kim. Kim, wow. I, you know, I haven't seen you forever. So guess what? I got something I want to share with you. Come on up to the table. Look at this. And so I walked away from all of these people uh, that I took to the table, and I let the people that were behind the table minister to them. So I got to play a circus leader, so to speak. Well, I just got an invite through a text to go out to the Iowa State Fair. And guess what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be sharing the Lord at the Iowa State Fair on August 10th through the 15th. And I'm sharing that because God gives us opportunities and everybody has a different gift. Not everybody's going to be able to do that kind of thing, but I love it. Um, so I would like you to put on a video right now by Chuck Swindoll, if you would. It's called Sensitive to God's Leading. When you're sensitive to God's leading, when you are available, every day is full of anticipation and even a touch of adventure. Hi, I'm Chuck Swindoll. I can promise you this, when you're sensitive and when you are available, God will provide the moment and provide just the right person for you to share your faith with. Remember back when God transported Philip to share with the Ethiopian? Philip was available and the Ethiopian was ready. And wham, a new brother born into the kingdom. That's what I mean by daily anticipation. Where will God lead today? Who will he put in my path to share with? I'm ready. Okay. Thank you. I chose that particular video to share because I thought it was very appropriate. These type of encounters and many others like it with strangers taught me that life is actually full of opportunities to witness uh, or share my faith. I actually look forward uh, to strangers sitting next to me on planes. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I, I even enjoy it uh, when salespeople come to my web, I mean my house, because they're stuck. Uh, it's surprising how easily people are led into conversations about deep spiritual issues. I think it's an indication of just how thirsty people are for God's truth. I welcome the opportunity to share the good news and pray daily that God will use me to bring people actually closer to him. I'm certain these casual everyday encounters are really actually divine appointments. Now, I muster up a few things here and there, but they're still divine, I think. Okay, I can call it that. Uh, and they're all planned by the master of the universe either way. I encourage you to be open to similar opportunities to share your faith with others. And it's a super joy to be used by him. How do we engage from a mundane conversation or an introduction with someone new into a spiritual conversation? Well, 
we could open up with leading questions and we could actually pause and listen. That's something a lot of us have difficulty with. It's better to listen than to speak sometimes, talk less. We don't really need to say too much. Sometimes all we have to offer is a sentence. Uh, like, I don't know what I would have done if it hadn't for, been for the Lord's help. That's going to get somebody thinking. Or, isn't it actually so beautiful out there to see how what God has created? Just leave it at that. Sow a seed. How many of us here have ever gone fishing? Anybody? Ooh, wow, I love it. Now, I'm not talking about just fishing for men and women. Uh, a fish isn't caught until it bites the hook, right? We need to cast in the line, so to speak, and begin to reel it in when there's a bite. If the fish don't bite, then what we need to do is actually change the lure, change the bait, do something. And we can't be too fast or we might actually lose the catch, if you get my drift. So we got to be careful when we're talking to people because we'll lose them. In Acts 1.8, it says, be my witnesses. And then it goes on, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So guess what? We start here, but we can go all out. And it's, God has a big plan for all of us. How do we share the good news actually using the Tanakh? Tanakh meaning the, some proverbial will say the Old Testament. But how, would we use, how do we do it? Uh, most of us are caught up in the Messianic writings, the proverbial New Testament. So in the Messianic writings, a lot of people have learned how to use the, again, proverbial Roman's robe, uh, the way to share the faith. Well, I want to share a way to share the faith using the Tanakh. Has anybody ever thought of that before? Guess what? The Messianic writings were not around in the first century. So how in the world did the believers share their faith? Think about that. Well, I'm going to give you some answers to that question. First of all, we want to know, show that God is the source of a satisfying, worthwhile life. In uh, Psalm 1611, it reads, You make me know the path of life in your presence is unbounded joy in your right hand, eternal delight. Now, this kind of delight is the result of a close relationship with God in your presence, in your right hand. Speak of a personal relationship which can be as intimate as the one between Abraham and God, where he said, Abraham al-Havi, my friend, Abraham. Deep down, just about everyone wants a life and relationship like this. Why then aren't most people experiencing this life and relationship? Something to think about. Number two point. 
Your sin has separated you from God in Ecclesiastes 7.20. For there isn't a righteous person on earth who does only good and never sins. We've heard similar scriptures in the Messianic writings. Anytime man deviates from God's holiness, guess what? He violates God's standard, and this is called sin. Obviously, then all of us have sinned because sin is a violation of his standard and character. God must judge man's sin and reject it. This is why God's spiritual death and results in, uh, in separation. I said that wrong. This is why sin causes spiritual death and results in separation from God. In Isaiah 59.2, it reads, Rather it is your own crimes that separates you from God. Your sins have hid his face from you so that he doesn't hear. Interesting, from the Tanakh. As long as sin separates us from God, we can't enjoy the life and relationship God wants us to have. We cannot remove the sin barrier by our own effort. Human effort is not adequate because in God's, it's in God's sight. Listen what it says in Isaiah 64, 5. All of us are like someone unclean. All our righteous deeds are like menstrual rags. We wither all of us like leaves, and our misdeeds blow us away like the wind. So how can this problem of spiritual death and separation from God be solved? I got an answer. I found it in the Bible. I found it in the Tanakh. I didn't even need to use the Messianic writings. How do you like that? The sin barrier can be removed by believing God's word. That's faith. And by having the blood of atonement. Abraham was an example of how the sin barrier can be removed. He said he believed in Adonai and he credited to him as righteousness which is in Genesis 15, 6. But then in Leviticus 17, 11, what does it say? For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for yourselves, for it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. But without a priesthood and without a temple, there can be no sacrifices. How can we have the blood atonement today? I'm glad you asked. I got an answer. Point number four, God has provided the blood atonement for today. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, We all like sheep went astray. We turned each one of us to his own way. Yet Adonai laid on him the guilt of us of all of us, after forcible arrest, this is verse 8, and sentencing, he was taken away, and none of his generation protested, is being cut off from the land of the living for the crimes of my people, 
who deserve the punishment themselves. Therefore, verse 12, I will assign him a share with the great. He will divide the spoil with the mighty for having exposed himself to death and being counted among the sinners while actually bearing the sin of many and interceding for the offenders. Sound familiar? God made sure we could recognize the Messiah by certain specific identifying traits. These are described by the prophets of Israel. Listen to just a few. In Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, his ancestry was from the family of David. The city of his birth was Bethlehem, Micah 5, 1. He had a supernatural nature, Isaiah 9, 5 and 6. The manner of his execution was nailed on a tree, Psalm 22, 14 through 17. He rose from the dead, Psalm 16, 10 and Isaiah 53, 10. The time of his coming was before the destruction of Herod's temple in 70 CE, as stated in Daniel 9, 6. Do you have any idea if anyone has fulfilled these prophecies or has even come close? History tells us that Yeshua of Nazareth fulfilled these and many other prophecies. There are at least 48 specific prophecies concerning Messiah which Yeshua fulfilled. The probability of one person to fulfill all 48 prophecies is one out of 10 with 150 zeros after it. Figure that. Since the blood of atonement has been provided through Messiah Yeshua, there is only one thing left for us to do. We must have faith. Receive Messiah Yeshua into our hearts. And in, in order to have a personal relationship with God and a satisfying, worthwhile life as I opened up this message. In John 1.12, why did I say John? Because it is in the Messianic writings, and this is specific. But to as many as did receive him, to those who put their trust in his person and power, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Did the early, uh, no, I'm not going to read that. Very few people, I just want you to know, I'm going back to Carpe Diem. Very few people have an actual gift of evangelism. We are all called to be a witness. There are many types and styles of evangelism. For example, there's, Six types. Confrontational evangelism, like Peter, who would talk to anybody about the good news. That's in Acts 4. Some of us in here are like Peter. Can't keep them still. Gotta go out. Gotta do it. Gotta say it. Say it to somebody. It's almost obsessive, obsessive compulsion. I sort of identify with that. Invitational evangelism is like Andrew, who invited Peter to come see in John 1, 39 through 40. When there's an event 
or a service to attend or they encounter a person who is going through a personal tragedy, this person will invite a, a person to an event. Some are very comfortable with that. Testimonial evangelism. I was blind and now I see. This person might know or not know a lot about scripture and is able to share the difference that the Lord has made in his or her life. Relational evangelism. Those people that are uh, quite introverted might use this technique. Uh, you know, they build a relationship with people through learning of their needs and learn, earn the right to share the faith with them. That's a great technique. Intellectual evangelism. How many of you have ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? Ravi Zacharias, great apologist. I look at him as one of my favorites. Uh, Rav Shaul, Paul, on Mars Hill in Acts 17, 22 through 31. He appealed through his intellect uh, to the people. Service evangelism, like Tabita. Uh, she was always doing tzedakah and good works. And Dorcas, who was sewing uh, for the, the believers. So there are many different ways of reaching people. And, there's, and not everybody is going to be out there boldly proclaiming. But we must be witnesses. We must. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say, so, so, say so. Go out, go up to somebody and say, so. And, you know, in Yiddish, people go up and say, no. I mean, it's so. So, no. What are you thinking? What about it? Do you know him? Do you, him? Who is him? Break into a conversation. I love going out and talking to somebody. Judy always says to me, I never have met a stranger. I never have met a stranger because I... You get to know them right away. I love people. I'm a huggy guy. I don't care who it is. I hug everybody. I just love to hug. So this is, so many people go through their lives untouched, and they need a touch. So we need to give them something. But that's the, uh, the tangible element. What can you do today and beyond to make a change in somebody else's life. What are you going to do? You can start by so, and then share something good with them. I want to ask, is there anybody here uh, that, um, uh, yeah, I noticed that there were a few people who didn't raise their hands as believers. And uh, I don't know if that's because you were tuning me out, or, or whatever. Is there anybody today that has not come to that place in their spiritual walk where they, know, they just know that they're not ready to meet the Messiah? If there is a heaven, that's how I said it the first time, if there is a heaven, then wouldn't you want to be there? And if there is a hell, would you not want to go there? Just a thought.
Is there anybody today that would like to acknowledge their faith in the Lord for the first time today? If you want to, I'll be up here after services, and I welcome that opportunity. I want to thank you uh, for bearing with me. I'm really appreciative, and I want to send you off with a blessing, but you're raising that up. you got to tell me. I can't read lips. Thank you. So what's on the back of all your bulletins for those out there in the Internet world? On the back of the Son of David bulletin, what I shared today is on there. That is not where I got it, but that's where it is. <laughs> I want to send everybody off with a blessing, uh, and I'd like to ask you to stand. And it would be nice to make some contact with each other. It might be the only touch some people are going to have this week. So let's get cozy. I'm waiting for you to make contact. And I guess it's just me and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I feel so loved. <laughs> Here we go. The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you.